1: He was so enamored that he went right up to the door, it says in the text. He came right up to the fire that had killed everybody else, and it did not kill him. Why? Why was his life preserved? Because the king was being drawn to the Son of God in the fire. And the son of righteousness that arises with healing in his wings, he will protect the one who comes to God. So even an evil king who is no longer going to be evil can be protected as he's drawn to God.
2: That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today on Reaching Your Heart, we will complete the message entitled Fire, Fear, and Worship. We hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, we want you to know that we believe here at Reaching Your Heart that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us anytime during the broadcast. That telephone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888 888-244- 244 4673. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxenteco.
1: Isaac is the most precious gift in Abram's life as he stands before that altar, and Abraham must choose between the gift as a God and the God who is the gift. And when the price is clear and the choice is even clearer, Abraham lifts his knife to take away from Isaac that which God gave him, life, sacrifice, fire, fear, worship. And when the fire is near and the knife is ready in his hand to plunge into a father's heart first and then his son's heart second, because the life of Isaac is Abraham's life, the broken heart is finally at the center of worship and the price of sacrifice is clear for Abraham. He sees the price clearest through his tears that you must give to live. Friend, it is only then that the voice of God is heard by Abraham in this worship test of his horrible ordeal. The preexistent Christ at this point reveals himself to Abraham. Genesis 22, verse 12. He said, the angel of the Lord, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your only son from me. So the one who speaks is the one who gives life and the one who has the right to take life. And verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering. Here is the key phrase, instead of his son, As a substitute for His Son. A death for a death. A life exchange is occurring here. A foretaste of the cross of Calvary. Now I guarantee you that day at that moment when fear, fire, and worship were one. When the divine hand intervened. And prevented the plunge of the knife that would have broken two hearts that day. That the voice of God was heard clear by Abraham. And Abraham's worship of fire and fear turned to joy. Why? Because the sacrifice and the price of true worship was clear. He had paid the price in his mind. And when it was done and God intervened, there was joy because God desires His people live with Him forever. The choice had been made for God and not the gift. And he got the gift back. And Abraham put it all on the altar for the God he loves. Dear heart, when we worship God, we are called to the same kind of commitment, to place the gift on the altar because we love God more than the gift. Dear heart, when you put it all on the altar, God is revealed at that point in your life as God and not one minute sooner. At the end of time, the final call to worship is a call to fear, fire, and worship, the same elements we see here. Revelation fourteen six: the first angel's message, a prophetic call that goes to this planet and Jesus returns. Then I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven with an everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. And he said with a loud voice, what does the text say here? Fear God and give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of water. I mean, the elements of awe, grandeur, respect, a holy fear that will overcome the fear of the beast's power. All here in the first angel's message. Look at verse 18. And then another angel came from the altar. The angel who has the power over a fire. And he called with a loud voice to him who has the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. God uses fire to gather those who come to him in holy worship. God's people lived in slavery after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died. Slavery in Egypt produced a bitter life that was not real living, but a bondage kind of existence. Kind of like the 9 to 5 living, but worse, that many people endure today. Friend, Christ came into this world to give us life, His life, so that we could live the life that is abundant living. But the cost of our new life was His hard-felt death. And he gave his life in death, friend, to end the bondage for us all, to take us out of captivity. The gospel releases the soul in bondage from captivity. And so Moses stands before Pharaoh, telling Pharaoh that God is going to end the bondage. He's going to let him go three days and worship. You better let us go or plagues will fall on us if we don't obey God and hear the invitation to come and worship him. Pharaoh, you're in the way. Get out of the way of God and us. That's what he's saying. And Pharaoh at that point protests and mocks Moses and God too. And Exodus 5 1, and afterward Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a fast to me in the wilderness. The Hebrew word there is a sacred festival feast, not a fast, excuse me, a hog festival. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should heed His voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. Now that's a sad statement. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now he didn't have that power. He thought he did, but he didn't. He could not keep one saint in captivity that God in His power was prepared to release. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we prayed A day's journey, three days' journey in the wilderness, and sacrifice... To the Lord our God, lest he fall on us with pestilence or with sword. But, verse 4 is a big transition. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get to your burdens. Friend, in every person's life, there's a call to worship. And that is also a call to come to freedom, to come out of captivity, and to come to God. And there's always someone that the devil will raise up to get in the way of you and God's call. And that someone will think that they have God-like power over you in your life. They have no power like that because God in Christ has set us free. Paul says, For freedom we have been set free in Christ. When you let go of the power of self-interest and you put God's interest first and you pay the price of sacrifice in worship, In other words, of giving the gift because you love the giver more and you feel the fire and fear of God's majesty and holy awe, the soul is set free by the sweet perfume of God's grace in your life. In the first angel's message, as soon as there is a call to worship God as the Creator, because the hour of God's judgment is coming, and we're living in a day today... In the church, where many people say this prophecy stuff is foolishness. I hear them saying, I hear ministers saying that. They say, well, you know, we need to just teach the gospel. You cannot teach the gospel at the end of time unless you proclaim the prophetic truth that undergirds it, supports it, and points to it. The prophecies are the proof of the gospel. And the two are one. Why is the everlasting gospel reaffirmed at the end? Because the hour of God's judgment has come. That is a prophetic message to the world. And friend, if you're putting God on trial in your experience by making the Word of God morph into what you want it to be, you are an idolater before God. God is calling us to surrender to the Word of God in our worship and our belief system at this time. The hour of God's judgment has come. Worship is judgment There's a call, an invitation to come to God. But when that call is given, it is a judgment hour call. And guess what? It is a freedom call because we come out of Babylon. We come out of captivity. Babylon was the first world kingdom order. And like Egypt, God's people were taken into captivity in Babylon. They messed up. They went back to captivity. True worship ends the captivity at the end of time. Revelation 14 verse 8 Another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of her impure passion. Now Babylon here represents a fallen religio-political system that has a direct dominance over the world powers at the end of time. And the Bible is saying we have to get out of Babylon to get into God. We have to forsake that which holds us captive to come to God who sets us free. You cannot have two loyalties in life. You cannot have two gods you worship. Revelation 18.4, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. It's possible to be aligned with entire movements that have nothing more to do with God than the devil himself. And we must test them by the word of God. And when the call is made, we are to get out of Babylon and get out now at the end of time. Why? Because the hour of God's judgment has come. Worship Him who made heaven and earth the sea and the fountains of water. When the ten plagues fell on Egypt, the last plague took the firstborn son of King Pharaoh and many sons of Egypt along with him. It was decisive. It was the event that broke their bondage and gave them freedom. And when the price was paid, Israel left Egypt a free and dignified people serving a holy and loving God. Then and only then did God appear as the pillar of fire and cloud, leading His people to the holy mountain to worship God. They came singing, praising God to Mount Sinai at the time in the spring. That would later become the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would be poured out centuries later. But unlike the disciples who by faith ascended Mount Zion with the Lamb, The disciples who opened their hearts as Christ went up that high and holy mountain in the presence of God to become our high priest, to function in that new covenant capacity. The people in the old covenant experience were afraid of the fire and they withdrew from the fire and away from God in fear. Friend, the problem is not the fire in the story. The problem is sin, which creates the wrong kind of fear toward fire. In the Bible, there is a fear that overcomes fear. And the fear of the Lord in the right kind of way is the beginning of wisdom. God came down on Mount Sinai in fire. Jesus is coming back at the right hand of the Father at the end of the age in fire. So if we don't learn how to deal with that fire now, we're not going to be ready at the end of the age. As fierce as the fire is, friend, you cannot worship God unless you draw near to God in the fire because God is in the fire. The Hebrew word for priest in the Old Testament means one who draws near. We are called to be priests to God in Exodus 19 and 1 Peter as well, to draw near to God, to represent Him as a holy priest of the holy nation. And we are to find Christ as that one who takes us into God's presence. Now, we sometimes pass over the fact in the story of the Exodus that God told Moses to tell the people in Exodus 19, verse 13, that when the ram's horn blew real loud... Then they were to all draw near and they were to come, in the Hebrew, Bahar, into the mountain. They were not forever to be kept back. There was a moment when it was right for them to come to God. God appeared in fire on the third day and God spoke His law from the fire and the tempest. And when the tempest blew in the midst of the storm and the people withdrew from God instead of coming, as the ram's horn extended, they pulled back instead of moving forward. They were not exercising faith in God. Friend, there has to be a fire in the heart for the heart to change. Christians who are kind of like non-committal, kind of like halfway there moaning through their Christian experience, are not Christians at all. We either have the fire of the Holy Spirit working for Christ, loving Christ with love and passion and boldness, or we are not Christians. The Holy Spirit has not given us this attitude of fear and timidity, but one of love, of kindness, of bold Christianity.
2: More with Pastor Michael Tenko in just a moment. Studying the Bible is vital to our lives. And we would like to help you in that process by providing you free Bible study guides. These full-color Bible study guides are available for you right now if you dial this telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We would love for you to call and get your copy of these free Bible study guides at any time. That's 888-244-4673. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxentanko.
1: But fire hurts, and it hurt for a long time. Because the fear of fire is intrinsic in the human heart, just as much as the fear of God is intrinsic, we run away from the fire, don't we? And so there must be a fear that overcomes the old obsolete fear in worship that is only about self-preservation, about not getting burned, and not about the glory of God. Exodus 20, verse 18. Now when all the people perceived the thunderings and the lightnings and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And what does the text say? They stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. They didn't draw near, they went away. And Moses said to the people, verse 20, do not fear, for God has come to prove you that the fear of him may be before your eyes that you may not sin. Now literally the Hebrew reads like this, he has come so that his fear will be upon your faces so you will not sin. Now that's more profound to me. When Moses went up into the mountain, he drew near to God in the fire. To draw near, that meant he was acting like a priest... He had to walk into the furnace of the holy mountain to find God. That was the barrier. He wanted God more than he was afraid of the fire. The same fire that fell at Pentecost years later and the same fire that will appear at the end of the age when Jesus comes, friends, is the very fire we need to live forever. It's Holy Spirit glory that God has given us in Christ. It's a foretaste of the age to come. Everyone's worship will be tested by fire. And we will all have to pass through that great judgment bar, the great wall of fire, to find God at the end of the age. But when Moses went up the holy mountain, that was on fire. He wanted to walk with God. He wanted to talk with God. He wanted to be with God. So he walked into the fire to get to God. And for him, it was worth enduring the fire to find God. And so he took his chances with the God of fire and he found himself free, talking to him face to face as a man does with a friend. And the fire from God's face stuck to his face in a friendly kind of way. Exodus 34:29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of the testimony in his hand, and he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know He did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And when Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And so they put a veil on Moses' face because the fire was hot and the light was bright. And they were afraid of Moses just like they were afraid of God and the fire. In the story, the law cannot remove the fear of fire. The lawgiver needs something more than law. So the veil was placed on Moses' face because of the fear. The Apostle Paul had this to say in Second Corinthians 3.11. Let's look at the verse. For if what faded away came with splendor, what is permanent must have much more splendor. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold like Moses, who put a what over his face? A veil over his face so that the Israelites might not see the end of the fading splendor. But their minds were hardened for us to this day when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Now here's how you get the veil off. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Friend, if Christ is not in the fire of worship, then all there is of fire is fear and the certain prospect of being burned by the fire and the glory fades. Christ must be the end of the veil. When Nebuchadnezzar commanded that Daniel's three friends be thrown in the fire, the men that bound them and threw them in died from the heat of the blazing fire. God is love. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. The hottest fire in the universe is God. And God's fire is the very passionate love of Yahweh, it says in the Song of Solomon. And that fire that is God will one day destroy sin because love cannot tolerate evil. And sinners who cannot live in the fire of God's love will not live. But Nebuchadnezzar was drawn to the fire. Remember the story of the three Hebrew worthies? There they were. They were thrown in. He was drawn to the fire that will destroy evil at the end. And because the fire is personal, the heat is warm, it had an attraction to it. That old hardened king, and he told the three worthies that he would burn them up, and then he had them thrown in. The men who threw them in died from the fire. But when he looked, he saw one in the midst of the fire that looked like the Son of God, who was the Son of God. And he was so enamored that he went right up to the door, it says in the text. He came right up to the fire that had killed everybody else, and it did not kill him. Why? Why? Why was his life preserved? Because the king was being drawn to the Son of God in the fire. And the Son of righteousness that arises with healing in his wings, he will protect the one who comes to God. So even an evil king who is no longer going to be evil can be protected as he's drawn to God. Hotter than the furnace of hell is the furnace that was kindled in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus took the sins of the world into his heart as our substitute in the sacrifice. And there they were burned on the altar of the earth, hotter than the hottest hell, what Christ went through. On the cross of Calvary, the fire burned them all out as Jesus died for all our sins. One sin at a time in his mind. Christ went through the fires of your personal ruin at the end of time if you reject Him. And He felt it for you in that experience. At the cross, He dealt with every single thing that prevents you from knowing God, that makes you draw away in fear. He became guilty for your guilt to save us from our selfish sins that put Him there. Sins of pride, bitterness, self-seeking. Sins that put God last and sins that separate us from each other. Sins that are awful All of them were with Him. Friend, the price of true worship is sacrifice. Giving is the act of living. The soul that cannot give, that soul cannot live. But paradoxically, the soul that lives must die to live. Christ gave His life in the fires of our personal ruin on the cross of Calvary for life and living. Because love is the true fire and love gives And love gets burnt, but it gives. Christ suffered for us. Friend, that hell that Jesus went through, and that's what it was. If you want to find a definition for what hell really is, you go to the cross, there it is. It was hotter than the hell the devil will endure in the lake of fire at the end of the millennium. Because Christ was traversing much more than he will have to deal with. Like Sinai, there was darkness at the cross, fear and yes, fire, burning hot in the mind of Jesus Christ as He paid for our sins. And don't let someone tell you Christ didn't pay for your sins. That somehow God did not hold His law to be what it is, a standard of righteousness in the universe. Christ paid for our sins. He paid a price for our sins. He ransomed us, the New Testament says. He paid for us in His mind one sin at a time as the fire of God's holy, loving outrage for sin raced through His mind, not yours, because it was your judgment day in Him. And the heart that knew no condemnation was condemned and felt the full flow of it all for us to set us free. As good as the law is, and God's law is holy, The law can never take away the fear of the fire and deal with that condemnation. We need a Savior. Only in Christ who hung on the cross is the veil lifted. Only in Christ is the mountain at last an open door to approach God who bleeds in our behalf in the person of Jesus. Only in Christ is the heart. The heart set free from bondage to serve the living God with the right kind of fear that overcomes the wrong kind of fear that makes you want to stay away from God's throne of grace and mercy in Christ the veil is removed the door is open you come to God Hebrews 7:19 for the law made nothing perfect on the other hand there is this bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God Hebrews 10:19 therefore brethren having boldness to enter the holiest place by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way In Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, what is the response? Let us have grace. That means kindness, the goodness of God extended to us. And what do we do with it? By which we may serve God acceptably. You know, that's not what we want. It's what He desires and requires. How? With reverence and godly fear or awe. For our God is a consuming fire.
2: Today's message with Pastor Michael Tanko was entitled, Fire, Fear, and Worship. You can listen online at reachingyourheart.com or download a copy to your personal library. Once again, that website is reachingyourheart.com. We'd love for you to go there and visit now. You'll find an opportunity to listen to this message again, as well as many other messages archived there for you. That's reachingyourheart.com. We're excited about this wonderful book entitled Soul Care, and we'd love to give you a free copy. It's a short 64-page volume all about becoming a whole in a broken world through a personal relationship with God. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673, 888-244-HOPE. If you've been inspired by this message and want to partner with us to further spread these messages and keep us broadcasting on the air, then we welcome your partnership. And you can give a donation of any amount. We thank you for your support. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll join us again next time for another Reaching Your Heart.